it's funny that you chose Tobias for your avatar. I have a quick story. Um, uh, when Avatar came out in 2009, I my daughter, she wanted to be, um, you know, a, one of the Navi. So I got okay. the costume and everything. <clears throat> and I thought, you know, I'll just hold on to the costume because in a few years when Avatar 2 comes out, I will already yeah. have it. And I did. I held on to it. And so just this past Halloween, she was um, a Navi again. And there was blue all over my house. So that was the joke. She had left. I went and took pictures. There was like blue on the door, blue on the cabinet, blue on the towel. It was just, just like it. I was like, Andrea, you oh, blew yourself, cool. you know. Or did you blew yourself again? It was just so funny. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not in Kansas anymore. You are on the Silver Screen podcast. If there is a hell, you may want to go there for some R&R after you've listened to this podcast. <laughs> yes, so if that didn't give the game away, welcome back. We are the Silver Screen podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wilson, and today we are reviewing James Cameron's Avatar, the record-breaking, highest-grossing movie of all time, unadjusted for inflation. Thank you, Gone with the Wind. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think we have a variety of opinions today on that one. So without any further ado, let me also introduce my fellow host, DK. Hello there. And uh, we are joined by a returning guest from earlier in the season on Silver Screen. Uh, you will have heard her on our First Man review, which if you haven't, please go back and listen to it. It was, I think we were very insightful. We all had uh, good thoughts and opinions and it was a fantastic review and a good listen. So do listen to it. Uh, and welcome back, Sandra Evanson. Welcome, Sandy. Hello. Uh, you all ready to talk about Avatar? Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> like I said, I think we've got a variety of opinions here, so it should be interesting. Um, if you're curious why we're doing this, where have you been? You've clearly been living in a cave. It's because when this airs, we are one day away from the release, finally, of Avatar 2 or The Way of Water. Uh, and we'll see if that, you know, sets similar box office records or completely implodes and bombs. Or we're in a weird situation where I genuinely think anything might happen with that movie, but... We're not here to talk about that one. We're here to talk about the first movie uh, and just give a review of it as fairly as we can. Uh, I don't know about you two, but just before we go into it, I should have <laughs> blew wicked, really, Dick. <laughs> Especially VK Blue. I wish I could have. I oh. wish I had the Photoshop skills to make it DK Blue, but there we go. <laughs> Yeah, you're probably going to be seeing DK making nuisance of himself through this episode to keep himself amused. But well, uh, no, I was going to say before... Someone's uh, going to be the will to... in this episode. The will? What does that yeah. mean? Oh! <laughs> yeah, the equivalent of Will Templar, I get you. Yeah. He's not here. <laughs> so, yeah, all right. Um, but no, I was just going to ask how you guys, like what your experience was with Avatar and quickly let the audience know that I didn't see it in the cinema when it was first released, but did buy the Blu-ray and watched it on Blu-ray um, when I got that. And then I went back to the cinema to watch it in 3D after hearing everybody rave about it when it was re-released just a few months ago in like September, October time uh, of this year. And 
Then just before this review, because I hadn't made any notes when at the cinema, obviously, I put on my Blu-ray again and discovered that I hadn't been watching the collector's extended version of the film, which was a completely new experience. So I can also compare and contrast that. Uh, but what about you two? What about you, DK? Did you see this at the cinema or have you only ever seen it the once and just the regular version or what? No, I uh, it took it, I it completely bypassed me when it was at the cinema. I it took me a while. Uh, I believe I ended up finally seeing it uh, when Sky for a little while brought out their three D channel. We'd just got a three D TV, so we had it on that. Uh, so I've watched it on that, and since then, the other night when we watched it, luckily after I think it was what, four weeks of trying to get a package through customs here, I finally got the TV remote that allowed me to put it on 3D mode once more. So we watched the oh, 3D okay. Blu-ray again. So I've never actually seen okay. this outside of 3D. Okay, fair enough. Well, I've and I, it took me long enough to get to watch it in 3D, but it was uh, a cinematic experience rather than an at-home one. And we'll get into that. I'll explain my thoughts and feelings on that when we get to it. Uh, but what about you, Sandra? Had you seen the film before at cinemas or anything or what? Yes, um, when it came out, my daughter and I were really excited to see it. Uh, we always went to the movies, every kid's movie that came out. And this was PG-13. She was right about that age. I think she was 12. So we went and saw that. And it really was intended to be watched in the cinema, obviously, especially mm -hmm. for that time. Because yeah. yeah, it was just such a visual experience. And I was really glad that we we got to see that. Yeah, that's I can understand that, I think. But yeah, I'll, again, I'll get into that a little bit later. So um, did you watch it again for another sort of your second time before this review? Then? I did. I've never seen it in 3D, but I can definitely see how the film lends itself to that uh, without being gimmicky. Mm -hmm. I, I imagine, again, I haven't seen it that way. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I did just watch it on the regular TV Um streaming just now actually this morning That's just cool. so everything would be fresh because it is a long film and it's hard to remember everything you want to say about it you think it's a long film i watched the collector's extended version it's almost <laughs> three hours it's like a minute or two off being three hours long and uh i was yeah. gonna ask <laughs> so the original is 245 yeah yeah two hours, well, actually it might be a little bit longer i think there's I can't remember exactly how much footage has been returned, but I feel like there's 20 something minutes. I could be wrong. Um, so maybe it's just over three hours. But yeah, I do have like a breakdown of which scenes I think are kind of important and what they are and stuff, because I assume I'm the only one that's seen the different versions of the film. Yep. Yeah, I've not seen the extended. That's fair enough. There was also a very slight change to the end of the one they put in cinemas a couple of months ago, but it was so minor. So I might as well get into it now because it's literally one line, which is when they're, um, spoiler alert for the end of the film, but when they're basically kicking the humans off Pandora, uh, Ribisi's character, Giovanni Ribisi's character, Parker, I think it is, uh, just basically walks up to Jake and Natiri and goes, you know this isn't over, not yet, right? And I was like, okay, so that's there because sequel. <laughs> so, right. Um, and yeah, we did also get a very brief scene from The Way of Water after that screening, but apparently it was a scene selected completely at random, so nobody knew which one we were going to get. And the scene I got was just um, Jake and Natiri's kids playing in the water. Nothing particularly of note, <laughs> except the water effects were great. But then again, I saw Jaws in 3D and they were great there. So again, different argument for a different time. Um, but yeah, so I will explain little bits and pieces, I think, when we touch on that as well. So, so um, 
yeah, before we uh, get into like reviewing the film and bits and pieces like that, we were going to start, as always, I believe, with the behind the scenes section. Uh, and DK, that's normally your purview. So, <laughs> yeah, well, well, I'm, I mean, normally, uh, I normally get the stuff from behind the scenes from a variety of sources, but this time I've had to go exclusively to IMDb. There's the majority of the pages out there, they're more, they're more devoted to avatar quizzes rather than substantial facts. So, apologies for that. It does to me feel a little like cheating, but then I think of Cameron's writing on this movie, so I figure plagiarism isn't completely off the table. So, uh, for more info, please check out IMDb. Now, I'll start off with the, uh, the, the, the words. The word avatar is Sanskrit for incarnation, used exclusively in Hindu scriptures to refer to human incarnations of God, while the word navi in Hebrew means prophet. A navi is a visionary or someone who communicates directly with God. The plural, navi-im, Apologies if I've got that wrong. Also refers to the prophetic books of the Bible, which include Daniel, Mika, and Isaiah. James Cameron disclosed on The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien in 2009 that he began working on preliminary drafts of the movie as early as mid-90s because the visual concepts were so, and I'm using his words here, avant-garde, the technology required to uh, consummate the vision was not then available roughly until 2005 was he able to proceed with viable script scenarios. Now, yeah, going back to language, the Navi language was created entirely from scratch by linguist Dr. Paul R. Frommer. Cameron hired him to construct a language that would be easy for actors to pronounce, but could not but would not resemble any human language. And so in, in as a result, Frommer created about 1,000 words that the, uh, the cast and crew could learn. Now, Jake Sully's initials, JS, are the same as John Smith, the central figure in the historical and often romanticized story of Pocahontas, and the less said about that, the better. The film shares many similarities, obviously, with the Pocahontas story. Like John Smith, Sully's a member of an invading force who falls in love with a tribal princess after learning her customs, if you believe the Disney version. Cameron <laughs> apparently was first inspired to make Avatar after seeing the 90s version of Disney. So, yeah. Oh, fuck on this. Yep. Uh, now, Matt Damon. Conflicting information, but okay, fair enough. Yeah. Now, Matt Damon and Jake Gyllenhaal were the studio's first choices to play Jake Sully, but Cameron decided to cast then relatively unknown Sam Worthington in the lead role. I guess he's then still and now relatively, relatively unknown. unknown so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worthington said in an interview that it was easier for him to master the Navi language than the American accent. And that kind of shows up a couple of times. <laughs> now, to help the actors prepare for their roles, Cameron took the cast and crew to Hawaii, where they spent their days trekking through the forests and jungles in order to get a better sense of what it would be like to live and move around in the jungle on Pandora, since there'd be no actual jungle sets to aid and guide the actors and crew. Zoe Saldana even dressed up as a warrior during these journeys, complete with an alien tale symbolic of the one her character has in the movie. These hikes were only done during the daytime, however, as the cast and crew spent their nights at a Four Seasons Hotel. Mm -hmm. now, the cigarettes that Sigourney Weaver's character smokes, they're entirely computer-generated, 
apparently. I read that and was so confused by that because I was like, what was the point in doing yeah. that? It seems so weird. Such a Just, complete waste of money, really. Yeah, that whoever signed up on the budget for that, come forwards for yeah. a slap. <laughs> now, unobtainium is a humorous, <laughs> it has here, term used mainly in the aerospace industry. It describes a material that is perfect for an application but does not exist. It's extremely expensive or violates the laws of physics. Its chemical symbol is UO. Unobtainium is also a general concept term used by sci-fi enthusiasts for any fictional substance that's needed to build a certain device that is crucial to the plot of a sci-fi story. It was previously featured in the movie The Core, where the earth-boring vessel called the Virgil has a hole made from unobtainium to help it withstand the massive pressures inside the Earth's core. Unobtainium is also an anti-gravity element in the online multiplayer video game Skyrates. And finally, unobtainium is a term used by the Oakley Sunglasses Company, which refers to the material used in certain nose and earpieces. According to the Oakley website, its properties allow it to maintain its grip despite the presence of perspiration. Now, while the movie was often described as anti-war by critics and fans, Cameron repeatedly said in interviews that the film was not inspired by or commenting on any specific conflicts or any specific nation's overall foreign or defence policies. Cameron also said that the film did have a brutally strong pro-environmentalist message on purpose because, as he put it, I am a tree hugger. Huh. Now, one for Will, if you're listening. Despite understanding the Navi are not placental mammals, James Cameron insisted from the start that Natiri should have breasts so as to look hot from a human's point of view. <laughs> that is ludicrous. But yeah. not quite as bizarre as the idea that these avatars have fully functioning reproductive systems and apparently an avatar can father a child because they have kids in the sequel. So figure that well, one out. <laughs> Oh, I did. <laughs> now, the uh, the spiral-shaped retracting creatures Jake encounters uh, early in the film are giant versions of Christmas tree worms, a marine invertebrate commonly kept in reef aquariums. Now, and finally, most of the animal noises heard during the movie are recycled dinosaur noises from Jurassic Park. During Jake's run from the panther-like Thanator, it roars at him using a T-Rex roar, and later, when Jake is learning to ride the horse creature, uh, she makes a barking noise like that of the Velociraptors in the kitchen scene from Jurassic Park. I don't remember that creature ever seeing the word Alan. <laughs> <laughs> it's about as realistic, mate. Uh, so, yeah, that's all I have for this episode. There's obviously plenty more, but as usual... If we were to focus on everything behind the scenes, we'd have no time to talk about the movie itself. But for those of you out there wanting to know more, please check out IMDb's trivia section at imdb.com. That's fair enough. Well, I sent you a link because I did have something. I didn't end up writing it all down, but I, I happened to have access to the Avatar wiki. Yes, it does exist, uh, with a little bit of information about this film, so... Uh, do you want me to just read out what I've got? Because yeah, it, it conflicts what you've said and some of it's kind of new information. 
so according to this, the concept for Avatar stems back to a dream that James Cameron had when he was 19 at Fullerton Junior College. Uh, very similar to, he claims the same thing about the Terminator, that he had a dream about a robot appearing out of fire, and that's what led to the movie. Um, but according to Cameron, this dream featured a bioluminescent forest with, in his words, lizards that didn't look like much until they took off. When he woke up, he drew it, and reportedly this drawing has saved Cameron from about 10 lawsuits pertaining to the film, which, yeah, <laughs> not the most original of concepts. Um, as you mentioned, it's been in development since 1994 with a 114-page script treatment that was previously called G Xenogenesis and featured a bioluminescent world, but the technology, uh, according to Cameron, hadn't caught up until around 2005 to be able to visualize what he had in mind. Uh, the look of the Navi was inspired by a dream that Cameron's mother had long before he ever started work on the film in which she saw tall blue people. Uh, visual artists were conflicted about the look of the Navi and how alien they should appear. They ended up removing elements like gills in order to make them still be physically appealing to most people. Uh, when Cameron showed his script to 20th Century Fox execs, they asked him to tone down the tree-hugging fern gully stuff, and that's in quotes. Uh, in it, however, Cameron stood his ground, saying that the environmentally conscious themes were integral to the storyline of Avatar, and he was determined to create a mainstream movie focused around it. For example, the destruction of Home Tree is meant to symbolize sorry, the damage of Earth caused by humankind. Duh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's just a little bit and pieces, and then there's, there's various things about the sort of the three versions of the film, uh, things like that, and how the, uh, the Navi started out more lizard-like and then eventually obviously the inspiration as you can kind of see became more feline uh, and that's when they eventually took on the shape that they have now so yeah um just some interesting things there i think about the the development and uh creation of the film DK, what the heck is that on your avatar that is the commander from jason of star command have you never seen it i have, I have never even seen this movie i'm sorry Oh, man, you yep. have to see it. It has James Doohan as one of the main <laughs> oh, cast. Oh, Sandra, you're not joining him in this game. Yes! <laughs> well, I felt, you know, a little plain, a little ordinary. <laughs> oh, she's knocked, but, uh, off, she's knocked another one off my list as well. <laughs> that was one of yours as well, eh? I'm yeah, staying, I might put it up later anyway. <laughs> I'm staying with Diva Plava Laguna, though. I'm not going to switch around. Very, well, I'm staying with Tobias because all three of us clearly blew ourselves. But um, yeah, <laughs> at, at any point, TK is Max Rebo going to come up? <laughs> I am not saying. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh my word! Why, why blue, James Cameron? Why blue? <laughs> You've just given us so many chills. But anyway, um, so yeah, if you are new here, we are going to jump into a review of the film and we'll just, it, it tends to break down into sections like writing and plot, then direction and special effects, music, acting, etc. There is no real structure anymore. We tend to just go as we made notes and if the conversation flows to a later point in the film or anything, then we just go with it. Um, and we're going to go back and forth between hopefully all three of us, but certainly myself and DK about some of the notes and things that we have uh, listed down. So... Um, the first thing that I kind of wanted to look at was the writing and the plot, if that's okay with you guys. It is. Obviously, the first thing that we should say, as we've already touched on, is it's not exactly the most original plot in the world. It is Fern Gully or Dancers with Wolves, or I'm sure you could name lots of others, including Pocahontas, like you did. Um, but for me, it basically, it lives or dies by how unique its world building is. And I think that's where James Cameron kind of fell down a bit of a rabbit hole. <laughs> Dr. Manhattan, love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I will stop commenting on this at some point, and the audience can just look for themselves. But I just had to name that. Anyway, um, so yeah, I think that's basically what we're going to be exploring here, because it would be well trodden ground to point out that the plot is well worn territory, shall we say? Unless uh, unless you guys have something specifically you wanted to say about that, I I'm not a fan of this thing with regards to the the writing. It, I think it's the least, uh, the weakest part of the production, if I'm being completely honest with you. It's, I've, I mean, I've got, you know, like you, I've written down, for, you know, it's got, it's Fern Gully, it's Cameron's Aliens, it's Dancers with Wolves with a, a dash of Philip K. Dick. And, you know, anybody that's familiar with South Park has obviously seen the Dancers with Smurfs episode. It's, yeah, it's, I just can't get past the writing on some occasions. It's, it's very B-movie. I think I said this to you before, that if it wasn't for the effects and things like that, if you were just on a script read-through, it would feel like a, a direct-to-video thing. Huh. And I already said I, I felt... don't agree with that assessment. But... <laughs> Sorry, Sandra, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say I felt slightly different about that. I mean, it's not obviously Academy-worthy. I do agree. It's been done before. But uh, some of the writing techniques I thought were well done because, you know, James Cameron's obviously, um, you know, very good writer, um, very deep into film, done a lot of movies, uh, blockbusters. He always does everything big. Um, And so I thought he was, you know, I thought there were some aspects that were well done. I'm yeah. I'm probably going to get a lot of stick for saying this. That's that's fine. That's but I think I think he's incredibly overrated. <gasps> no, no, don't get me wrong. He's made two. He's made two of my. And if he, he's made two of my favorite movies, Terminator or and Terminator Two, obviously, Aliens, and I do love The Abyss. I don't. I think he's best when he's taking ideas and cribbing ideas from other people and then adapting them i don't think he's original as he likes to make out i'm sorry i'm probably going to get a lot of hate mail for that but as much as i like some of his earlier productions i think a lot of the time now he coasts on his name which obviously you can do after a while there there are other directors that are guilty of this i'm you know, I'm not going to go into it right now. That's for another time. But I think he bases a lot of his productions these days on other people's ideas and other setups. And yes, they're good because he throws a tremendous amount of money at them. But I think as, as a director, he's good. But I think as a, as a writer, I think he's kind of lost it a little. I'll, I'll keep my mind open for when I watch Way of Water. But this, to me, seemed a, a bit of a hack job, if I'm being honest. Well, I'm, um, I am interested to hear the perspectives on that, though. Yeah, definitely the same. But I, I, it's never actually come up, but I actually have long said that James Cameron is my favourite 
director. So that's <laughs> obviously a, a slightly differing opinion to yours, DK. Um, I've seen all of his films with the exception of Piranha 2 The Spawning because I know he disowned it for a long time anyway and there's contention about whether he directed it or the fact of the matter was that the producer kind of took it from him and did his own edit and everything anyway. But I did order that recently because I'm curious, so why not? Um, and yeah, with the exception of that film, I think I would say every one of his films is good to great. Um, so yeah, Terminator 1 and 2, Aliens, True Lies, Titanic and Avatar. For me, that's a pretty outstanding body of work. Yeah, but to <laughs> me, True Lies is as much... James Bond as Austin Powers is. He, he, yeah, he makes decent films and he has some good set pieces. He got some good action sequences. But everything, in my opinion, seems cribbed from other movies. Uh, you can see the exact same. So quotable. True Lies is yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah, but your your argument is literally verbatim what you could say about like Quentin Tarantino. Like, oh, oh well, yeah, he makes great yeah. things, but none of his ideas are original. <laughs> so that's it. But I don't know, think or... Quentin Tarantino portrays, and you know, I, I could be wrong. I've not seen any recent interviews with him, but there's there's a kind of arrogance with Cameron that I don't. Oh, there definitely is both him right. and Tarantino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he believes his own hype a lot of the time, and when it comes to you know nailing crew members' phones to the wall with a mm. nail gun and. Oh, you know, acting like heavy when it comes to the studio. I think if you tone that down a bit, I would appreciate the guy more. Not that I, I don't like him, but I think the arrogance, oh. it comes across as a bit of a narcissist to me. And I think he hasn't earned that right in recent times to act like such a heavy. Yeah. Just to clarify, I can't stand the man on a personal level, even though I say he's my favorite director. I'm looking at the work here. But yes, personally, if I was to meet the guy, I would probably punch him in the face, <laughs> as indeed Ed Harris and several people reportedly have. You know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, this I'm not here, you know, remarking on him as a person so much as on the work, because let's be honest, you know, Alfred Hitchcock, Stanley Kubrick, a lot of visionary genius directors turned out to be Pretty big assholes in the well, end. Well, I mean, so, Kubrick, <laughs> can get, can, Kubrick can get straight in the bin anyway, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> just for what he did to uh, Shelley Duvall. Well, this is my point. I mean, like I said, you, you have to kind of, we're looking at the work rather than the individual person. But yes, Cameron is rather a vile individual, judging by a lot of his uh, reported behavior on sets and the way he treats people and uh, even some of his random comments and things. You know, his Wonder Woman comments from not long ago were pretty let's say tone deaf to be generous at the very least i didn't um, hear that yeah. what was that it was ridiculous it was something stupid like wonder woman purports to be feminist but it's not because it's all about emphasizing the female form and breasts and real feminist characters are the ones that look manly like ripley and sarah connor and wonder woman has no right to call itself feminist <laughs> and i was like dude shut up just yeah. <laughs> I, I, maybe it's a thing where I, can, I have trouble separating the art from the artist. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think his attitude, it's, it's like earlier when he says his work was so avant-garde and it just feels like some 17-year-old film student coming up with the most pretentious idea and thinking, you know, he's struck gold. And that's what Cameron has been to me recently in recent years and you know the whole thing about deriding franchise as well at the same time he's now talking about avatar six and seven it wow i, I think there's very little self-awareness in the man at times yeah that's a 
that's a different debate for another time, but everybody's doing that. And it is, it's, it's basically, let's have a pop at what is effectively becoming an easy target. But again, that's wide ranging and goes way beyond James Cameron. Although, as you said, the hypocritical nature of doing that when you are alternating Star Wars and Avatar releases supposedly every winter is a bit, you know, rich. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, to bring it to to bring it back to the movie, then I, I did have like a quick note about the writing, which um, actually related to the extended collector's edition version of the movie, because uh, it's the character of Jake Sully that I was going to talk about, sort of uh, on writ large, shall we say? Um, and all through the movie, I was kind of struggling because it seemed to me, and I don't know if you guys feel the same way, watching the original version of the movie, that his betrayal of humanity just kind of comes on. A little unbelievable uh, to be generous and say a little bit um, in that it's like it seems like yeah we we see there's a lot of time given to it and he supposedly is getting into that world but I, I I was lacking a little bit of context and a little bit of explanation as to quite why this hardened marine guy would completely turn turncoat um, uh, so yeah did you guys have a similar thoughts or no <laughs> I don't like the white savior aspect that it results in. I think it's very kind of tone deaf in parts and some people argue that it isn't, but I just think it, it is. It, I mean, it essentially is dancers with wolves in space, but I just, I just don't like the fact that, you know, by the end of it, he's coming in on that big creature, whatever it's called. And obviously the, for, for plot purposes, none of the rest of the Navi even thought to jump on it from from higher up, and it—I don't know—it just comes across as a bit white savior and leaves a bit of a uh, a bad taste in my mouth. That that particular section, anyway. I can see where you would say that, but I don't believe that was intentional, and I certainly don't read it that way. Um, but yes, it's hard to deny the fact that certainly all of the actors that he has cast uh, as the Navi are people of color. Um, but yeah, with with relation quickly to counter your line, I don't think it was that any of them hadn't thought of attacking the Turuk from higher up before. He even says himself that his logic was kind of not sound on that front because it didn't work. Um, it's not super clear, but it's like, oh, I figured, oh, well, it was clearly just a theory and then it still kind of attacked, but it was just that he was able to tame it because, I don't know, whatever logic there is given behind it, fate or you know, look or whatever you want to call it, I guess. Um, but yeah, certainly there's a bit of that. But no, in terms of like, like I'm saying, I, I kind of wanted to understand Jake Sully as a character and kind of like, what was it that literally led to this? Other than the obvious kind of, well, he got laid, <laughs> you know, kind of uh, lame explanation, which is, you know, even said by the the, the bad characters in the movie. Um, like I said, I, I struggled a little bit for a little motivation there. And uh, yeah, did, again, Sandra, did you did you have that with Jake or did you feel like the movie justified his his turn to the side of the Navi? I hadn't thought of it before. It didn't um, come up as something that kind of took me out of the movie for a bit or, or I, you know, said to myself, well, that's not believable. And I think the reason why is because I also wanted it for him. You know, I mm -hmm. wanted him to to I myself, you know, wanted to become part of the Navi and I was angry uh, with the greed and, and everything that was happening. So I understood why, but now that you mentioned it, I do think an extra layer, I would have appreciated that something that kind of brought it home, maybe something, you know, that had happened in his life or something that happened to him on earth that would, 
yes. further, I'm, you know, solidify that. Sure, I would have appreciated that, I, but but I didn't at the time when I watched it think anything odd. I'm really glad you said that because I think this is the best addition to the extended collector's edition of the film. Um, because that is the first thing that it shows you is Jake's life on Earth. And it shows you that he is obviously kind of downtrodden. He was a Marine and then he lost the use of his legs and everything. But there's an entire scene, which it probably isn't as effective as I talk through it rather than watching it. But there's a scene where it shows that he's like trawling bars and he's like watching, you know, creepy guys hit on girls and then, you know, getting into fights with these guys, despite the fact that he's clearly at a disadvantage and disabled. And he's he, he does this narration where he basically says that he doesn't know what he's looking for, but he is looking for a cause that's worth fighting for mm. just because he wants that in his life. And I was like, see, I I would not have lost that scene no, um, that, from the start that of the adds movie. an extra dimension to it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was like, that's such a weird decision to have cut that scene because, yes, I get that your, your logic there would be, well, we get to Pandora quicker and whatever else, but... I really like that scene. It's my favorite of the extended stuff. I don't think a lot of it is necessarily vital to the film, but I think in that case, that really is. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of point that out and see if anybody had a similar experience if they've watched that version of the movie. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, speaking of stuff that's not clear, I mentioned this to you after watching it, the cinema, DK, that I don't think the film, maybe this is just me being stupid, so apologies, audience, if you picked up on this, but I don't think the film makes it all that clear that the environment of Pandora is toxic to humans. And that's partly why they have to go into the avatar bodies. So I was really confused by the whole scene at the end where it's like, he has to reach for the mask or whatever. And uh, yeah, I was, so a, I was a little lost at that at first because the, I cannot remember from the, from previous times watching it about the masks thing. I knew it was, you know, with regards to, uh, the toxicity and why they needed the avatars but i don't know where i glean that information whether i'm just carrying it over from the previous time that i watched it, it, it as you say it's not made inherently clear no it's not and it doesn't help that the movie itself muddies the point because there's a big scene which is great for the character of um now i'm blanking on his name the um the Stephen Lang character, the bad guy. There's yeah. <laughs> the entire scene where he kind of takes off after them into the atmosphere, shooting at them as they try to escape. And he's not bothered at all because, you know, badass and he's angry and whatever else. And he's clearly just holding his breath because that scene does end with a very blink and you'll miss it moment of like, sir, and somebody hands him the gas mask. And I was like, I clearly didn't notice that the first time. And so I was just confused as to like, well, you're out there. It, it's fine, surely. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, I think I it think could have been a bit clearer. <laughs> first arrived when they first arrived they did have the masks um when they're getting off the plane and that's i think when i realized it but i don't think that was their focus their focus was more on um being gaining their trust learning more about them and so that's where the reason for the avatar was you know for me that's why i assumed there was a reason for the avatar besides that because later on when michelle rodriguez is in the helicopter i guess now we can assume there was some sort of artificial environment in there but she wasn't wearing a mask in there so yeah. i can see how that could be lost yeah, and I did, when I went back to watch the version after seeing it at the cinema and being confused by that point, when I put on the Blu-ray, I was like, okay, I'm going to listen out for this line that explains it. And it is there. But as you said, it's when they do the aliens, you know, landing on the surface dropship sequence. And it's said by the kind of Sergeant Major type character that's giving the briefing in the background. And it's like faded dialogue in the background 
while you're listening to Sully's narration. So it's so easy to miss. And I'm like, that's such a vital piece of the puzzle that, again, I feel like as a filmmaker, surely you would foreground that fact, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, and that's what I was going to say about the writing. Uh, because again, no argument that it's not an original story, but what I appreciated is that they didn't treat me like I was stupid. Like they had to spell everything out. There was that, we, we mentioned this all the time, the show don't tell. And that's what mm -hmm. sets James Cameron apart for me or the, or the execution of this overdone story for me, just from the very beginning, uh, when we see the two um, beads coalesce in front of, of, Jake's face um, we know he's in space and when he's watching the machinery return and we see that there are arrows in the tires and and now we know yes. okay there's an indigenous people here they're primitive they're using arrows uh, those are the types of things that for me when when we're you were gonna you know talk about writing that's where my mind went was like the actual execution yeah. of the story and I thought that was well done Definitely. I completely agree. And I made the same note about like, it's a very effective storytelling um, and directing when you have that scene of the big truck thing coming in, as you say, with the, the arrows in the tires, which basically says everything. There's an indigenous population. They're not happy. We're facing resistance here. And uh, yeah, it's not clear who the bad guys in the situation are. Um, but again, uh, again, forgive me the indulgence, but there is scenes in the extended version because there's a couple uh, which develop this a bit further, which again, I don't necessarily think you need. I think it works better as a shorthand, that scene that you already brought up with the arrows and the tires. But there are whole scenes in the extended version where they talk about how Grace had a school where she taught the Navi, which is kind of good because it also explains how they speak English so well, because she kind of explains as part of this that they picked up the English language incredibly quickly because they're intelligent enough to do that. And it's just a natural thing. Um, but that one day the school was raided by uh, Navi who objected to their presence there basically as, as kind of colonizers, I guess. Um, and it led to all of the the people in the school scattering and the place being ransacked and basically the death of Neytiri's sister, who's never mentioned in the theatrical oh, wow. version. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, again, this would have been nice background to have, even though I get that you can lose it because you can do it more efficiently via that one scene. But there's so much cool stuff here. And there's such a good scene where Grace's avatar, so it is still Grace, obviously, walks around the school and she's kind of looking at the ransacked things and the ripped apart books and the sort of bullet holes where they'd obviously the human characters had kind of resisted back and the place had been all shot up and stuff. And you can kind of get that real sense of like, okay, there's more going on here. And this is clearly already devol devolved into a kind of war of, of cultures here. And uh, Grace kind of desperately wants to kind of like these people and teach them. And as soon as that happened, you know, fair enough, it was, it was the Navi's fault, which is again, interesting because it's a bit more, a bit less black and white, shall I say, but also, she clearly wasn't happy that the solution to this was just, oh, now we have an excuse to go in and, you know, shoot up the place. Um, and again, in, in this day and age, a shooting in a school is perhaps something that they would have cut for another reason, but I think something that it adds extra emotional heft to that scene. Um, so again, I kind of still wish they'd had it there. <laughs> in fact, one of Jake Soley's lines, this is how it's done. When people are sitting on shit that you want, you make them your enemy. Then you're justified in taking it. Yes, I love that line. Yeah, it says it a lot, <laughs> a lot very well. 
um yeah it's quite it shouldn't be a controversial statement but i was still quite surprised that that's there because it's like that's very um iraq sitting on oil kind of thing isn't it mm, so, yeah but yeah um, another reason i thought um that they didn't really uh, weren't very specific or didn't explain everything really well is because balance wise that allowed them to gloss over a lot of the science so that it was plausible and and it didn't stick out or look conspicuous if they were going over every detail previously and then just all of a sudden kind of ran through the science of the avatar i mean they gave us some but in in that way i thought it was balanced again they just didn't dumb it down for us but they also didn't over explain it because well they couldn't right because it's fiction yeah and I think, again, it's a wise choice to boil it down to personal emotional moments. So I really love the fact that Jake's entire thing, his entire sort of first moment is all about, wow, I now have Lex. <laughs> so he naturally completely ignores all the briefings and the science and the safety and just thinks, I'm going to go running, which leads me to hate the character because it's reckless and stupid, uh, which isn't great for a protagonist. But at the same time, I can appreciate that, like, if you were a disabled character and now you've suddenly got access to legs again <laughs> you would the first thing you would do probably would be go wow this is incredible i want to go for a run so yeah and <laughs> that made yeah. me like him because to me <clears throat> it was more of a childlike wonder hmm. and the tail yeah, whipping around that. and he couldn't you know he <laughs> had to get used to having a tail it surprised him to have a tail i and then he immediately ran outside and then was just caught by the scenery that's interesting yeah I think I started off that way and then it, when it got to the point that he was like still going even though he was being screamed at by like Grace and Norm and then he was like almost hit by one of the mechs that was like watch where you're going and he still just didn't give a crap and was like I'm gonna start trying to eat this fruit and run into the path of this danger and I don't even know what I'm facing with these creatures I was like at this point you're being really reckless and I just don't like you at this, you know uh, dude and then Norm <laughs> was forced to run after him and they just basically looked drunk you know the way yeah. they're running it was like i think my first you know chuckle of the movie just watching them trying to trying to get used to their bodies yeah Did, i guess yeah was there ever past you know a profit for the shareholders was there ever an explanation of what unobtainium was for uh they do see it powers everything but basically that's that's basically all you need to know i mean like i said when you see the extended scenes of earth there is it is kind of made clear which they already see in dialogue that earth is is good there's nothing left and they are we are essentially dying as a planet because we have no resources and yet we still you know have power systems and need stuff so i think it's just a question of it, it powers stuff <laughs> efficiently very efficiently um, again, forgive me, this is going to sound like ridiculous bragging about seeing the other version, but there is another scene which I, which I want to get into in the extended version, which says that it also apparently has some kind of bizarre electromagnetic properties uh, on Obtanium because they go into detail to explain that that's how the mountains float, which again just isn't explained in the uh, theatrical version. No. That was the one thing that bothered me, actually. Yeah, the floating mountains. <laughs> I was trying to figure that out. Yeah, it does explain it, but it explains it in such a way that I kind of wish I'm glad they cut it from the theatrical because it's it's explained by not being explained. Because I think the exact line is Jake goes, Oh, Grace did try to tell me, and it's something to do with the electromagnetic properties of unobtainium or something like that. And I was like, 
because oh, <laughs> they're talking about how the energy flows and one yeah. of their most holy sites happens to be on top of the biggest deposit for 200 clicks i think he said so yeah man that makes sense i don't mind the explanation itself it's the fact that like it's way too on the nose that because it's jake he's like or something like that i don't know at the end of that <laughs> bit i was like at this point, you would at least be listening and like, I should probably know one or two things as opposed to just, I don't know, I'm just a dumb grunt. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't entirely sold on the narration, if I'm being, if I'm being completely... No, me neither, no. I, I mean, like going back to this show, Don't Tell, it did feel a lot like it was the other way around on some occasions with this narration. Yeah. I'm, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the theatrical cut of Blade Runner for the same reason. It, I don't know, it just... I. I completely agree with you. I made the same note. I said that the narration gets tiresome. Like, I understand. I think it's there at the start because, again, it's a nice shorthand way to say, you know, a lot of things that you can get through without the exposition. So, you know, I've been in cryo. It's been six years or whatever. I had a twin brother, so this has allows me to, you know, pilot the avatar because we have the same gene sequence and stuff. But I was like, then you, then if you have sense, that's when you drop the narration. But when yeah. it's still going on, when he's in the body of the avatar and stuff, I'm like, at this point, it's grating and it's gone on too long. Yeah, I found, I mean, I've coupled, but I mean, I found some of the dialogue really, oh, like yeah, old hard boiled detective novel type level. Wow. And it didn't, and didn't, it didn't, didn't it. Huh. yeah, it didn't seem to come across to me. Yeah, I liked that when it comes to some things, though. Like, I get it, I get the, the economical storytelling in lines like, oh, um, cry or sleep, you don't dream, it doesn't feel like six years, more like a fifth of whiskey and a hangover and a night out or something. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's cool. That explains a lot of what you need to know. And yet it's the way a person would talk, even if it is perhaps a little bit too, you know, hard boiled detective novel. But then, like I said, when it's explaining things you don't need, like, um, oh, and I was in this party and I felt amazing. And then Grace said to do this. And I was like, we, we saw that, dude. <laughs> we don't need yeah. to explain things we can see. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, but yeah, that was just, uh, clearly that wasn't an issue for you, Sandra, I guess. Yeah, I'm sitting here wondering why it wasn't. I mean, I guess because there was a mechanism, right? It was, um, uh, the voiceover was uh, left over. He's journaling, right? And so it's just continuing yeah. as we go back into uh, the avatar um and i guess there was it was just over some scenes so maybe i the visuals overtook because i don't even remember much about the voiceover so i may have even tuned it out because i was you know being drawn into the visuals again so that's interesting yeah it just did not really stick out for me and i don't even remember it much i think for me it's more that it's between the point where i think you need it where we're kind of experiencing Jake explaining how he ended up there. And then the point, as you said, when he's making the video logs where it thematically has at least an excuse, there's a huge chunk in between where it's just, we're just hearing his thoughts and it's not quite clear why. Um, hmm. but yeah. And again, I feel like the video logs are a little bit over explained, like as if we couldn't quite get it, which kind of, I know it's contrary to what you said with a lot of the stuff, which is like, it doesn't feel like an idiot, but I don't think we need scenes where he's like, wait, I got to record this now. Yes. While it's fresh. And what do I do? Just talk into this thing. And I was like, yeah, we know how video logs work. <laughs> <laughs> is it, Come on, man. <laughs> and it might just be me, but <sighs> yes, it's a very pro environmentalist message. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, knowing, you know, that Cameron did aliens and stuff like that. But there are some times during this movie 
where the military does seem a little fetishized to some extent to me. And that is it, that is a common it, thing, yeah, yeah. It will kind of get sending me a mixed message. You know, you, 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 I, can't, I was coming away from it thinking, yeah, these people and what they're doing are bad, but phew, look at the size of those cannons. It, that's, just, that's kind of the, this is, an, uh, it's getting into a big thematic area, but that's something that's not just common among Cameron's films. Is technology and things like that bad or is it actually good? Because like you said, a lot of people that, genuinely weren't sold on this film are like but i love the scenes of the giant mech and the helicopters and stuff and i was like you don't know they're the bad guys right You're not yeah. supposed to be. <laughs> but like you said they're not portrayed that way it's very much portrayed like Whoa, look at that wow look how cool that tech is look at those guns and it's like yeah, yeah. But supposed to be rooting for them. exactly <laughs> and, you, and, you, and as i say with a very mixed message and i'm i'm thinking yeah was i, I don't know i it just it, it, all these little things add up and leave a, a kind of a bad taste in my mouth when, when it comes to the writing for some reason. I get that point, and I think it's also it also relates to the point which for me was kind of I I don't mind it in the film, but I also kind of am frustrated at the fact that Trudy turns turncoat and then therefore the Navi get a sort of gunship on their side, and I'm like, so that's basically your way of justifying your fetishization of that like now we got a gun yeah yeah i was like really do we but then again i was fine with it because that didn't last long she was basically summarily killed almost instantly which was another gripe for me but again we'll get there later i'm sure how can you do that to michelle rodriguez honestly i was more gutted about Sute, to be honest man but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, i guess maybe it's um, you know that the technology is not the technology; it's the person behind the technology, how it's they're using it. Yeah, definitely. But I do, I do feel there's a lot of that because there's an awful lot of like Jake stealing guns when he gets a chance to, and I'm like, this is contrary to your whole thing about like their way of life is definitely better. We can just survive with arrows and nature and stuff, and then like, nope, if we're gonna take them on, we're gonna need a gun. And it's like, oh, dude, yeah, <laughs> you know? which is it, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I can kind of see your point with that, but again, I, I don't really see a way around it because it also, at some point, it stretches credibility when you're like, these guys have the biggest, baddest gunships and mech and everything, and these dudes have arrows, <laughs> and we're supposed to believe like, yeah, wow, you did it, <laughs> really stopped them somehow. <laughs> there were yeah. there were times when I did think, what these guys need are a tribe of Ewoks. <laughs> that's basically what it is right that's the whole point is because in much the same way as, as return of the jedi was you know the vietnam war this is what this is trying to be like oh all the technology in the world won't help if people know the terrain and the environment and they're using nature against you and it's kind of yeah i know i've seen this <laughs> but uh, even then at least have the courage to go with it and claim that's what you're doing rather than just and we stole your tech and used it ha <laughs> i mean technically yeah. even using the avatars is you know their technology, I guess. So, but anyway, <laughs> that's uh, that's a bit of a, a side uh, a side track. I want to talk about how much I loved the scene where we first encounter Natiri and she has to kind of kill the Viper Wolves to save Jake. Because, like I mentioned at that point, I already thought like I don't like how arrogant this guy is and stuff. And I was pleasantly relieved that the film portrays her killing them in the way that she's like, "This is not a good thing. This is nothing but sad." You know, you, you were an idiot. You wandered around like a baby and you led to me having to kill them and I'm not happy about it. And I was like, wow, okay, that's surprisingly mature. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I liked um, that. You're like a baby making noise. You don't know what to do. I liked yeah. that line too. Exactly. Um, I will say though that I, as much as I love that and it kind of brought me back on Jake's side and it definitely won me over on Neytiri, it then gets really confusing because there's scenes later when Jake has been appointed as the Turok Makto when he's like, and I was death from above and it shows him shooting arrows into animals that he's hunting just to eat and they're all cheering it and I was like, have you forgotten that we had an entire scene earlier where they were like, this is not to be cheered, it's necessary but it should be a sad thing and I'm like... Yeah, it feels a little bit like you forgot the point there. <laughs> um, or maybe it was because when she did it, it was to protect him and they weren't planning on eating them, kind of like the mm. Native American belief that you use every part of the animal and, oh, and I, you yeah, know, yeah. you do all that. Maybe. Definitely. I saw that, but I still think the... Yeah, they were a bit too happy. You're right. It was, it was more the nature of the fact that, like, it wasn't just a matter of, yeah, it's okay. It was like the entire tribe roaring with cheers of, like, yeah and i was like "Ooh, dudes come on <laughs> um but yeah that was that was such a, a one scene nitpick but i do think it's there and it's it's worth noting um, yeah did you pick up on anything like that dk <laughs> yeah again it goes back to the the mixed message kind of vibe that i get from certain sections of this film it, it yeah. seems to be convenient when the plot requires it yeah there's bits of that for sure i don't think it's super egregious but it is there um so the next thing I wanted to talk about is uh, the character of Sute. Um, firstly, because I didn't realize until watching the film this time that it's <laughs> that character is played by Laz Alonso, who is uh, Mother's Milk in The Boys, which I also watch and enjoy. And oh, I was wow. like, wow, you would have no idea that was that actor. But OK. <laughs> um, but then like this character, there was something about him that I latched onto because I was like, I feel really bad for this guy. Like he's betrothed to Neytiri and he loses his betrothed to this guy who's frankly a bit of a douche. While he's done nothing wrong and he's like protected the tribe and everything. And it's like, this character seems to me like the perfectly fine, like boyfriend or stepdad that you get in those rom-coms. That's like, we have to root against him purely because he's not the protagonist. Like he's Bill Pullman um, in Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, or like Judge Reinhold in The Santa Claus. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, um, you've done nothing wrong, but because you're not the lead, we have to dislike you kind of thing, you know? <laughs> it's like... Yeah, I just thought I just thought that was such a weird trope to kind of fall into. But I was curious if that was just me or if other people were like, "Nah, we hate Sute." <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we didn't like him in the beginning, and it was easy because he was closed-minded, set in his ways, wasn't willing oh, I, to I give him to a differ. chance. I don't think he's, think he's closed-minded. I think they're the opposite. <laughs> at that moment, though, when he's like, you know, you did you mated with her, and I did, you know, feel bad for him in that moment. He was sufficiently sad <laughs> in that moment it didn't look angry oh, yeah. he looked hurt yeah and but so it wasn't i even, did um, feel for him sorry. then i didn't yeah, it him. wasn't even it wasn't even that that won me over though it was the fact that like yes i get that like oh it's the turok makto and that's a special thing and everyone kind of drops to their knees but like he has every right to be pissed off and yet when jake approaches him He's like, yes, I honor and respect you and I will lead the tribe for you and everything. And I was like, this dude is the nicest, most mature dude on Pandora. And again, Cameron's like, so he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, Poor guy. Yes, so, oh, he had such a disservice I, with that. By the way, it's much worse than the extended version of the film. Oh, no. God. Um, it goes back to him to find him dying on the ground and he basically begs Jake to euthanize him. And I'm like, Holy oh, shit. no. <laughs> 
no, no, no. Yeah, I'm glad he gives they it left the- that out because I thought he went out like a hero, right? He took out like yeah. seven guys with just his bow, arrow, and hands before yeah. you know meeting his his untimely death. That was the one scene that I was really uncomfortable with still being there, and I was kind of like. He again, it, it's purely transparently to make Jake the hero because he gives it the whole like, now you can lead the tribe, you must take my place, and you will be the one that leads everyone. But I'm in such pain, you must do this for me. And Jake said, Oh, well, I don't want to kill you, I won't kill you. And he said, No, no, you must. You are the honored Turok Makto, and I am. There is a really sweet moment which Laz Alonso, the actor, sells me on where he's like, Don't worry, I've had such a full life, I never thought I'd fly with the Turok Makto, and yet I have. And it's like, all right, that almost makes it worth it, but you still got done dirty, man. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyway. He was there when he was needed until he was no longer needed and disposed yeah. Which, of. As, uh, as you said, is very true of Michelle Rodriguez as well, which is like, okay, we need somebody to get them out of jail. Now let's go off. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, my other issue, and it kind of relates back to um, like not believing as much in why Jake turned against his people without the extended scene. Um, it's never explained in any version, and I'm still not happy how, how much that the tribe just accepts Jake into their tribe, just no problem whatsoever. And I'm like, really? Like He well, gets accepted into signs. the clan without... Sorry, what was that? There were signs. I, yeah, I get that, that they were like... that, But then it's one line that um, Nitiri says, like, he was chosen by Ewa because the sprite dandelion things landed on him and then they're like oh, okay cool come in join the clan pick your pick whichever one you want to mate with yeah anyone yeah and i'm like come on Let's really bow and arrow. <laughs> i totally bought into <laughs> bought into the whole thing that there you know there's energy flowing everything's connected he's there for a reason yeah I, I expected yeah. to see more pushback from other members of the tribe, not just Natiri's, yeah. you know, betrothed. Uh, it did seem very... Especially considering the tribal leaders are her mother and father. Yeah. And they are the ones who are basically like, join the tribe, you want our daughter? Go for it. It did come <laughs> across a little like that. Because when, you know, when the mother turned up, you thought, oh, you're in for it now. And he's like, yeah. nah, go for it, man. Yeah. And can I just say, the actors playing her mother and father, CCH Pounder and Wes Studi, Two of the greatest actors and completely just underserved in this movie, unfortunately. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. I, I did want to say as well, I kind of liked this is a, a good, another double edged kind of compliment is that I loved that Grace kind of explains in scientific terms the nature of what it is that the Pandora and people, the Navi, look on as, as mystical because she explains it via the uh, metaphor that it's like, it's like, um, connections to the human brain or like a, a wired, I don't know, internet connection that transfers data um, so that effectively the planet is just a giant neural network. And I was like, I did that's, like really, that, yeah. that's really cool. It's a good science fiction idea, but it also really sells me on kind of like, as she says, this isn't just some pagan voodoo crap. There's literal physical substance to it. And I was like, okay, I, I not that I should have needed that, but I'm kind of appreciative that now we know that there are real stakes here and this is a physical thing. Um, but contrary, on the opposite side of that, I really don't like that at the end when Jake, when um, Grace dies, sorry, that I don't think we need that scene where she's like, I'm with Awa, she's real. I was like, oh, dear me. You know? <laughs> like, at least leave it ambiguous, you know what I mean? Like, 
that just came across really hokey for me. And it might not have done for everyone. People might have cheered that moment. But for me, I was like, ugh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd love to know. Well, it YouTube. was certainly better than nothing. Maybe, but see, I don't know. I think I would have preferred nothing. <laughs> well, at that point, hadn't you already had that scene where they were converted, where, you know, Jake touched the tendrils in the tree and could hear everybody anyway? I don't I don't remember that at all. No, I, I remember that Natiri says that they can kind of hear or something along those lines. And then, like I said, Grace explains it's almost like their thoughts or consciousness or something has been downloaded via the network of trees. But then, like I said, they, they do explain that um, Natiri's mother is basically like, well, she's very weak and we can't just transfer her. She has to go to Ewa, which is this network first, and then be transferred into the Avatar. And I was already completely with, maybe because I'm just such a sci-fi nerd, that I was like, okay, now I understand that she's in the neural network part, the planet as a whole. And that's kind of similar to where people apparently go when they die kind of thing. So, again, I was perfectly fine with that. I didn't need Sigourney Weaver going, oh, maybe I'm with God. I was like, no, 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 <laughs> just don't do that. Um, but maybe, again, maybe that's just me, because Sandra, clearly you did like that, and you thought you did need that. So I appreciated yeah. the closure, yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, what about you then, DK? Yeah, I'm... I'm... Sorry, Sandra, but I'm, I'm with you, Mike, on this one. It's <laughs> I think a lot of things were unnecessary, and that was one of them. Yeah. It's only one line, but I just think it, it was a bit hokey for me. Um, I do appreciate that the Navi aren't totally stupid, so when they find out about Jake's mission, they actually act in exactly the way I would expect, which is to mistrust them and everything. And I get that you're supposed to be rooting for them at this point in the film and be like, no, no, believe them. But I was like, no, I'm kind of glad they don't because it sells them as not completely inept when they were previously like, come on in, join the clan. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, then a couple of scenes later, he turns up and all is forgiven. There's no sign of like distrust there at well, all. That's because that's because he's the Turok Makdo at that point. Oh, good grief. What? There's nothing wrong with that plot device. I mean, you take it or leave it. It, it kind of hinges on everything. But I, I was with that. I bought that. Like, you know, there's only, again, they make pains to find out this has only ever been done four times in our history that anybody tamed this thing and you were able to. So we will bow to you. Whether or not you believe that is stupidly convenient and stretches credibility, different matter. I don't love that. I believe that they would absolutely act in that way to him. I don't for a second believe that Jake would be able to do it. Because I'm, but then again, I'm not sold on this. He is the chosen one, and maybe that's why I didn't necessarily see it as a white savior. Because I didn't want it to be like, oh no, he is definitely chosen by Ewa and this great person that will do everything. I was just kind of like, or is he just lucky? <laughs> you know? Because yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. Anyway, again, that's a different uh, argument, I suppose. But yeah, he's the sixth tour of Macdo. My mistake. I did write that down. Somebody will be screaming at the screen. Um, so yeah, that was the the kind of the. I, I'm loath to bring this up, but I'm curious if you guys think that is he kind of uh, are you sold on the Jake as a chosen one narrative, or do you think he's a complete Gary Stew, the male equivalent of a Mary Sue, which is where I'm kind of leaning personally. I think he, I think Cameron wants it to kind of be one thing, but the fact that he wants it to be one thing makes it the other entirely. Hmm. And what about you, Sandra? Were you sold on the uh, the idea? I was because it was just more like um, it, it was meant to be almost like predestination. I would even go so far as to say um, 
the, the fact that he lost his brother and he had to take his place, that he'd been humbled by losing the use of his legs, you know, and then that he was chosen and that later on, you know, during the big fight where she was like, you know, Awa doesn't choose sides. She just listens. But she ended up choosing the side. She listened to him. And, you know, maybe they might not have been saved had it been anybody but Jake. So that's why I guess I had that running throughout the whole thing. And so it made it a lot easier for me for me to believe. But then also, I feel like my original experience with this movie, seeing it with um, a child and yeah. seeing it as a bit of a children's movie, too, not just purely science fiction, might have had a lot to do with my differing view on some of these things. Yeah, I see. What you mean. The first, uh, the first half of what you said was kind of selling me, and I was like, "Oh, I wish they'd kind of maybe emphasize that a little bit more." But then the second half of what you said was kind of like, <laughs> "Yeah, that's kind of proving my point that he's just like, because." And again, I made the note that like him suddenly all the wildlife of Pandora answering his call and coming should be hokey and ridiculous. But I would say Cameron is such a good filmmaker that dang it, if it's not just a great punch the air moment anyway. But again, I don't necessarily need to read that as. Oh, they've answered your call, Jake. Um, I'd rather just leave it a bit ambiguous than him be responsible for the entire planet's ecosphere helping out or something. Um, but again, that's I suppose that that depends on how you personally read the movie, doesn't it? So, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great moment, though. I will say, I absolutely sold on that moment, and I wanted that to happen at the time, and was like, "Woo!" Every time I watch the movie, so uh, points for that. And uh, on a similar note, even though, like I said. They, when they start mistrusting Jake and Grace, I was like, yes, this is sensible. But I also bought that they would, or at least Nateri's mother would kind of come to them because the attack that follows that is so brutal and shown in such a visceral way that I was like, I can believe they'd be desperate and be like, if you claim you want to help, then we just need anything right now. Um, so, yeah. And I, again, kudos to Cameron because those scenes are really hard to watch in how like I said, just how brutal and visceral and kind of realistic, I guess, they are uh, with the kind of the, you know, the sacred places just burning down and people being killed off. And it is, it's like watching a war movie or something at that point. And, it's and Zoe Saldana sold that too, like with her yes. acting and, and her pain. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. When did we start calling her Saldana? I noticed this on Jimmy Fallon the other day and was like, when did that happen? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was Saldana, but now all of a sudden she's added the little. Oh, yeah, no, I guess she... it's regional. <laughs> no, no, it's not. She, she's, uh, she was on Jimmy Fallon, and he definitely made a point of it, and she made a point of it, and I noticed they added the uh, Enya on the end of her name all of a sudden when they put her on the the sort of ticker along thing or whatever, and I was like, huh, I wonder if this is just that she's put her foot down finally about not being that officially being her name and wanting that pronunciation. I'm fine with it. I'm just curious when that happened. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Here has always been that for me, but I know Saldana's really? with people with that name. Ah, so it just always, nah. that it's always been that for me. Oh, maybe it was a cultural thing. Maybe we, as the, the British, were the ignorant ones that were like, Zoe Saldana for years, and every American's <laughs> like, it's Saldana, I will have you know. British, <laughs> ignorant. So yeah, that was my notes about the writing. So I was curious, or the plot in general. So anything that I haven't touched on that either of you two wanted to uh, discuss? For me, I thought also the pacing was was very good, especially in the beginning. One scene led into another scene, led into something else. I didn't feel like there was a lot of filler. 
Um, of course, there was those scenes that I did agree with, you know, some things that maybe didn't need to be explained versus the one part about Jake's past on earth that could have been helpful. But other than that, I just, I really thought that the pacing was really good uh, for the first half of the movie, at least. Um, yeah. It's a weird one because I think, again, it, it for me, it boils down to whether or not you are on board with the world building. And I think that's a personal thing. Like, I know people, um, including good friends of mine, who really are sold and kind of devour everything about this fictional animal and, uh, you know, every everything on the planet, the ecosystem and the language and everything. Um, and I think if that's the case, you're completely captivated and sold and it's paced really well. And as somebody who's more on that side than I don't give a crap, I think it is paced that way. But I can also see the point of view that, like, if you aren't sold on caring about this world at all, then a lot of the scenes of like just examining the wildlife and hunting and taming the things that you connect to and stuff probably do seem like they go on forever until you get to the conflict. Um, and again, as as the resident curmudgeon who hates this movie, DK, was that your kind of take on that? Or? No, I actually love the world building in this. I, okay. I love the time that it took to look at the uh, the biodiversity. The the things that did leave me cold were the battles for the most part. So, okay, right. yeah, ah. yeah, that's where my eyes kind of glazed over the big scene, um, which <laughs> probably where when the when the guy fell to his death um, after that, and maybe right after you know Michelle Rodriguez helicopter was blo was blowing up, I felt no. like that would have been a good time for oh Awa heard you and and now the whole planet's fighting against them because it went on for another i don't know how many minutes i think i got up and um pulled the trash out of the trash can and did a <laughs> few things and then you know came back to it when when the planet started fighting back i was just done with it at that point oh wow it's so weird that we have such completely convergent or divergent sorry opinions on everything because i love all <laughs> and again, I'm a supporter of the film. I love the world building and everything, or at least like the world building. But for me, I think the battle scenes are where I was like, yeah, this is a James Cameron movie. I'm <laughs> completely on board. And uh, again, not that I'm supporting what's happening and it's not like I'm enjoying what's on scene as such as much of like, wow, this is epic filmmaking and I'm feeling devastated and shocked and appalled when you're supposed to be and the horrors of war when you're meant to be. And again, whenever there's one of the good guys taking out one of the bad guys, I'm sufficiently like, yay, we got him. And whenever Michelle Rodriguez or Sute are dying, I'm like, oh, boo, <laughs> took him out too quickly. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, even that final, that final scene between, you know, Worthington and Lang, mm. it just, it just kind of, they don't get me wrong. It looks beautiful. There's not one scene of this thing that doesn't look beautiful, but, it's just meh. Yeah, oh, it was done better in District Nine. That whole mech and alien. Yeah, yeah that, it was done better in those movies. Or maybe it's because we've seen it before too much. This specific scene. Um, maybe that's I why. Know. I was I was completely sold on it, but that's mainly because I think Stephen Lang is just probably the best performance in this. Um, I think not, that, again, I think he's. Lang's brilliant, and yeah. you know, I mean, I've 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 not seen him in many things, but the things I have seen him in, I think he's fantastic, and he is good in this. But I don't think the material he was he was given was all that great. I think he elevates it, and again, it's it's difficult because I definitely wouldn't say a favorite character because I despise the character. But then again, that is the brief that he as an actor was given. 
And he does so much to make you feel that way whilst giving an also like brilliant, memorable performance. Like he's captivating and you can't take his eyes off him, even though you're like, oh, I hope this dickhead gets killed. So I'm kind of. Yeah. I mean, any, 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 you know, anything that is outstanding in that character is from Lang himself and not to me from the dialogue, because I think some of the dialogue is just so bad. But I think some of it's great. Like the speech that I opened this episode with is a Stephen Lang speech that's written. It's I think all right, but when it gets to the eat your eyes for Jujube, I just, oh, for God's <laughs> sake, stop it. Well, see, and I thought those lines were um, like um, we anything that crawls, flies, and squats in the mud. And, you know, we build them a school and teach them English. And Giovanni Rubisi called them savages. I mean, that was dehumanizing them. Um, that was how they were able to, you know, put apart the the fact that just like American military, you know, put aside the mm. fact that we're raising these people's homes, destroying their lives uh, by that dehumanize, dehumanization of them. And that's what I thought that was meant to do. What if everybody who dies on the planet is reclaimed by the, you know, roots? Yeah. That well, because I mean, there's a lot of people that died, and they are in the next film. So I've been trying to piece that together in my head. So DK, do you want to lead us in talking about the acting then, and I'll shut up for a little bit. I'll in uh, yeah, I, I, again, they they range from great to uh, to kind of passable. I mean, Sam Worthington. Every time I see Sam Worthington in a movie from this time period, I instantly flash back to the gift. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Uh, <laughs> you're not wrong he's so outclassed in this film and so flat and i just don't get that casting at all yeah i mean don't get me i, I know he wanted an unknown and don't get me wrong i'm sure he's a lovely fellow to chat to and have a drink with but yeah he he has no impact it's like every, every uh, film he's in know, is a stinker as well like have you seen clash of the titans or terminator salvation these are Terrible performances in awful movies. This, there, are, there are some people that you can look at who people cast in movies and you get it. You know why they're there. But people like Sam Worthington, as I said, I'm sure he's a lovely person. I watched him in a film, uh, a movie a couple of months ago and it's, it's, it's just the same. It's like, and this is for the British viewers, it's like putting Ken Barlow in the lead role. Nobody, <laughs> he's just... <laughs> Kind of there. There's no. He's not dislikable. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's very blank slate on which to project. I guess yourself or whoever you want. But yeah, Sorry, yeah. Sandra, you were gonna say. <laughs> I agree. No, nothing. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, uh she absolutely steals the movie. Uh, I. I would agree with the proviso that I would also throw Sigourney Weaver in there. Sigourney Weaver is good, but it's it's kind of the whole Sean Connery thing. Sigourney Weaver is playing Sigourney Weaver. Oh, yeah. And you can't really uh, go along with that. I actually had a note later, but I'll bring it up now. Sigourney Weaver is supposedly, in her words, actually playing James Cameron. <laughs> no, Sigourney Weaver as a character in this was likable. <laughs> no, she claims that like she her being the kind of like overly perfectionist crutchety bit of an a-hole but ultimate genius yeah because in her words her, is, yeah. <laughs> her first scene she's like where's my cigarette what's wrong with this picture so yeah i can see that yeah 
So yeah, she made, she made fun of James Cameron saying, "Oh, I notice I'm playing you in this movie." <laughs> but uh, yeah, as you say, she's probably a lot more likable by the end of the movie. And then people in the background are like, "She's a genius." Yeah, exactly. You know, like she 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 has earned the right to treat these people like scum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, GK, go ahead. No, no, it's it, it's fine. Uh, yeah, Saldana. I think she's just. You can tell that she put a lot of effort into perfecting her role for this. And I think every time she's on screen, she's just really good. When it comes down to the facial features, I, I just think she's fantastic in this. Weaver is brilliant. Lang is fantastic. As I said, he gets mm-hmm. some very B-movie material, and he does upgrade it to the point where you actually believe him. Not entirely because of the material, but he at least injects some life into it. Uh Giovanni Ribisi, I've always, I, I remember it was Vonnie Ribisi when he was in My Two Dads. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. I think he's, I think he's good. I think he's perfectly acceptable in this, and I do buy him oh, as a corporate no. stooge. You know, no, like no, it's the Paul Reiser in My Two Dads. Uh, oh, yeah. Not having that, Ribisi was dreadful. I'm sorry. Oh no, I thought he was good. I thought he was. Okay, good. maybe it's, maybe it's just me. I thought he was okay. <laughs> Uh, Michelle Rodriguez criminally underused. I mean, yeah, and again, surprisingly good because, like, I do not like her in most movies, like Resident Evil and the Fast and Furious movies. I was like, can this woman act? And then in Avatar, she turned up. <laughs> but she, no, but I mean, she is basically who she is in the Fast and Furious movies. Hmm. I mean, you see her on screen, and your first thought is to go family. <laughs> they aren't taking down our family, Jake. But yeah, she's, she's tough. She's a bit of a tomboy. She fits. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked. I thought they were gonna, you know, keep her around. So I, I don't re- until this last well, one. I don't actually remember her dying because it's so like off screen as well, and it's so weird. Because again, I didn't pick up on it for the first two times. Then the third time, I was like, oh, it's the scene where she basically says. Uh, I'm here. I'm going to have to pull out. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry, Jake. And then it cuts back to her like a minute or two later after showing something else. And she's still like descending. And it just shows you Stephen Lang just going fire and then just obliterating her in a hail of like missiles. And I was like, that's a bit unnecessary. She was landing. She was already completely crippled. But again, yeah. it just tells you on this guy's just a jerk. He just wants to kill people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think, I mean, Everybody had to. I'm just looking up some of the names here because you know what my memory's like. Uh, Joel David Moore. I did ah. uh, like the character of Norm, but I think he switched from kind of rankling against uh, Jake Sully's promotion, as it were, into suddenly being his best pal. And I think I didn't buy that. It would have been nice to see a bit more of the two butting heads, or you know, at least Norm butting ahead with with Sully. They do all range from, as I say, from passable. To fantastic. There's nobody here that gives, I would say, a bad performance. I just think. Well, I think, un- uh, yeah, I think Giovanni Rabisi <laughs> and Sam Worthington, for that matter, would uh, would test the limits of uh, good performance. Well, I, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a Sam Worthington gives a bad performance. He just he gives a Sam Worthington performance, which is, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, that was. Uh, oh, yeah, I wanted to see a few other just random little things. Um, just that Stephen Lang, I love the way that he sells you so much on the part of the role that, like, the casual not giving a crap when he's, like, raising these people's homes and stuff and he's just, like, sipping a coffee or something and he's just being so, like, casual about it. He's never, like, you know, oh, giving it too much or anything. I love those little moments. And 
or, or the moment where he's like his arms on fire and it takes him a minute or two to even notice. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Or the it's fact funny. that they have the technology and know how to take away his scars, but he chose to leave I them because it makes him look like a badass, I think. Yeah, yeah I did, I did well, like that a little bit. He does say it really, he wants it as a reminder of what these people are capable of, which again, I think feeds into the whole justification for racism kind of thing. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, so, DK, I'm going to go to you again because <laughs> I've talked way too much. Do you have any notes on the direction, the visual effects or the kind of visuals of the movie? Uh, I've got that the concept artist must have just had a field day with this. Oh, yes. If it's... you ever go looking for it, yeah, there's tons of concept art out there. It's absolutely, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I have bad mouth there. I'll, I'll, I'll be completely honest, not going to lie. But when it comes to visually, it's just, uh, as Sandra said earlier, it's just a spectacle. And if you can get past the writing and just let the imagery flow over you and get caught up in it, it is just stunning. I mean, you know, not just the black light scenes, although those especially, just the amount of thought that's gone into, you know, the, the, the biosphere with regards to Pandora is it's, it's just visually stunning. You, I could have done with a lot more exploring the planet and a lot less of the battles. And I, I guess, you know, that's what we're going to get in, you know, with the sequels. We're going to get even I more. I don't know. I'm on the opposite point of that. Like I, <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to explore it. Although I do think, yet again, it's James Cameron. We're on the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, he's, and he's cast Kate Winslet. <laughs> oh, dear God. Did you not know uh, that? That was like the no, first casting they revealed, man. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. is this is just getting painful for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I also wonder if it wasn't for gimmicks, would the first one have done as well? No. Mm. I, I made that point, and I will reference it when we get to the um, audience interaction that – when it comes to like, does this movie deserve to be the biggest sort of box office money maker of all time? Absolutely not. And it only is because of the price of a 3D ticket. Because almost yeah. nobody was not seeing this in anything other than 3D. So, yeah, I think yeah. that is the reason for its, um, you know, or IMAX at cost. least. Or like IMAX, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. like IMAX 3D, and then you have to get out a second mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I visually. It's it's impeccable. I, I I don't think you know that there's not one dodgy shot in there. And as much as I berate him for his you know inspiration and his writing, I can't fault him for his direction. I think it's it's beautiful to look at. There's not one scene, you know, that that leaves me feeling cold as such visually. Yeah, but as I say, now the initial kind of newness of the original has come and gone. I am going to be. Very interested to see how Way of Water does. I don't think it's going to do as well. I it's it's going to need something big to sell it, and I don't think it's there because once you get past the prettiness, I don't think there's a lot of substance there. It's he, he captured lightning in a bottle the first time. I honestly don't think unless he pulls something major out that it's going to happen again. Uh, but yes, I would never was. bet against Cameron personally. I. I... My my mind says the same thing, but or my heart says the same thing. Like I can't see why it would, how we can do it again. But my brain says like he it, it's Cameron. You, yeah. you don't bet against Cameron, man. I did want to say though. So uh, in terms of like the three D, Sandra, you haven't seen this movie in three D at all. Um, no, and earlier when I said I thought it lent itself to being three uh, D without being gimmicky, I heard DK go. Mm. 
so okay uh, <laughs> oh, DK, no, no. Want... I, I, I think i was just struggling with my technology at that point i was actually oh. with it wasn't like those 1950s movies where they were stacking a pitchfork into the camera lens yeah <laughs> what was it jason uh, 3d or something yeah like, oh. the eyeball popped out is now heading towards you yeah oh dear jaws 3d yeah. with that slow motion exploding oh. shark and the jaw heading towards you a bit on the nose yeah, yeah. but no um so you've already seen it in 3d at home dk yeah i have yeah i didn't see it at the cinema but i think the both yeah the both times i've watched it at home were was on in 3d yeah. that's fair enough well this is the part that baffles me and i kind of want to know you guys thoughts on this generally which is when the film first came out, part of the selling point was that people were like, you have to go and see it in 3D at the cinema. It's captivating, like you've never seen it. will transport you to this world in a completely special way. So when it came to being back on at the cinema in 3D recently, I was like, well, I've got to go because I missed out the first time around. And I went to see it in 3D at the cinema and I was thoroughly underwhelmed. And I'm genuinely surprised because that seems to be completely antithetical to everything I've heard about this movie. But as you've said recently you've seen et i think wasn't et 3d you've definitely seen jaws 3d yeah 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 we yeah i mean it kicked off a 3d kind of mini revolution where you know everybody and their mother was releasing movies in 3d and yeah it looked great because at that point not many people had experienced an actual 3d film but since then we had a huge succession of them you know going from the other franchises like uh, the Marvel ones, all the Marvel ones for the most part were released in 3D. Star Wars started, you know, they released Phantom Menace in 3D. You you had things like, you know, even minor releases like Dread, that was a 3D and that was damn beautiful. Since then, it's, it's obviously 3D's died a death, but you've had experience of these other 3D movies. So what was new to the audience at the time, you know, yeah. I think though that's part of the issue is that and that relates again to what you're saying is that it'll be interesting to see what that does to the way of water then because as an audience presumably we've all seen like as you said avatar may well have been the first time people had seen a digital 3d movie and it was to them obviously captivating and took them to this world but i just didn't i couldn't get there and i just felt like this just seems like every other 3d movie i've watched exactly There's, i mean yeah as, as as much as i'm not his biggest fan Cameron is a good showman, and I cannot believe that he's not looked at the spate of 3D movies since the original released and thought, how can we top this? He has to have something in the bag. Otherwise, mm. he knows for a fact it's not going to fly. Yeah. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that is, but um, I just don't think personally, even though, um, you know, not to, again, just disagree for the sake of it with you, Sandra, but even though you see it lends itself to 3D, I don't think the 3D really does add that much to a lot of the scenes in the movie. The only thing that I can remember notably being like, wow, this is really cool in 3D is the scene with the wood sprites landing on Jake. And that's only because there's so many things at various different like points and depths of the screen that you end up like, oh, wow, I can almost reach for this weird dandelion thing. And But like when it got about past halfway to the battle scenes and all of the rest of the movie, I was just like, this may as well not be in 3D. It's having no decent effect on me any differently than if I was watching it at home in 2D and I'm guessing that isn't what I was supposed to be I feeling. I think uh, I mean I, I, I will agree with Sandra here on the fact that it does lend itself to 3D but I will add the caveat for certain sections mm. and it's when you're ex to me anyways when they were exploring the, the, the planet right. I thought that looked extremely pretty 
But again, when it came to the battle scenes, my brain kind of switched off anyway. So I didn't really expect. And you did have that scene at the end where Stephen Lang's, you know, in the mech holding the knife out. And you're just saying, oh, watch it. You're going to stab my popcorn bowl. But other than that, yeah, it's. I, I think it depends what you took from from the scenes. Anyway, I mean, if you weren't that interested in the biodiversity compared to the battle scenes, you might not oh, no, have I, picked I mean, up was, on that as much, if you know what I mean. I was, but it just didn't seem like it was a brand newly way of taking me there. It was just like, okay, it's a bit more depth. <laughs> and yeah. You know, um, anyway, yeah. that's it. And doesn't three D kind of mute the colors too? Not in it, this case, I will say that. No, definitely not in this case. No. It does. It, you know, obviously, this you know the screen is darker once the effect is turned on, but the the colors were just as vibrant for for me. I think that's probably why most of the key scenes that work best for me are the ones that Cameron has made, like bioluminescent and really, like you say, um, blacklight-ish, I guess, almost. So it really does work um, on in that occasion. But yeah, like I said, when I watched it, I've now watched it on Blu-ray at home, and I already pointed out to you, DK, how the space shots in particular, the sp outer space shots when you're watching on an upscaled Blu-ray on a 4K player are absolutely mind-blowingly good and just better than the 3d cinema version you know so yeah. like again where, where's the where's the gimmick for this next one but we'll see yeah for me i'd rather have a very clear very yeah. big picture as opposed to 3d any day of the week just because for me it does i i felt like you know it's darker i don't like that i don't like wearing the glasses um, they bug me. So for me, I really mm. don't like 3D. I rarely have seen anything in 3D. So I'm probably not a good judge, but no, then I again, it's just I my mean, preference. Yeah. A lot of people would feel the same way. Um, so yeah, just when it comes to the direction, though, being a bit of a James Cameron nerd, I did notice a lot of his signature stuff. So I wanted to point out that when you see Jake's twin being cremated, his face is engulfed in flames in exactly the way of the Terminator in the opening credits of that movie. Um Again, the outer space shots and stuff are Cameron's kind of trademark. Cameron loves his blue colouring and his blue light filter, as you'll know if you've watched like Aliens or the Terminator movies. So it was hardly surprising that that turns up a lot. And that's why that's the, the Navi colour, I guess, this kind of shade of blue. Um, yeah, everything else I've kind of said. The wood sprite scene worked well in 3D. The rest was underwhelming to me. And I did like the fact that it's another James Cameron sci-fi movie where Sigourney Weaver starts off by waking up. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, and I, I forgot to mention that it's, it's such a little moment and so weird that like when they do wake up, there's no gravity in the ship and yet it has that weird uh, centrifuge thing like it's spinning around and it was so disorienting that I was like, oh, this is like it's such an unusual choice for a scene that's so throwaway, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, so I, I liked the first flight of the, uh, is it Ikran you call it? When they said, you know, it'll try to kill you, then you have to fly with it. I thought that was very well directed. But again, I actually preferred that at home than in 3D, which again is probably not what Cameron would have liked to hear me say. Um, and again, just how visceral the attacks on home train stuff were, I think was a very great visual. And uh, and yeah, otherwise, otherwise, I just was curious how you guys would respond to, to the CGI and motion capture, which is the one thing that I will say just flawless, just incredible. Yeah. Right? I can't fault that whatsoever. I yeah. thought it was really good. There was uh, the very first time we see Sigourney Weaver coming out. That was a bit jarring. 
And I'm not really sure why that was. Uh, I don't know if it's just because it was Sigourney Weaver, but just her yeah. walking up to Jake. I don't know if it was how she was walking. It just, it was really jarring. But everything else I thought was good. I think there was an element of the uh, the Uncanny Valley when it came to Sigourney Weaver because she had seen her, you know, prior just to Sigourney Weaver. So it was a little jarring when you first saw her as uh, an avatar. Uh, that's all I had on that. So what was the next thing? Anything you wanted to say about the music or the sound? I only have like... Yeah, I've just got James Horner, just yep. just amazing. I can't, I could never fault James Horner. And you and you get little motifs from all his, you know, his big scars like uh, Wrath of Khan and Battle Beyond the Stars, which is going back to, you know, really <laughs> B-movie, common stuff. But yeah, absolutely fantastic. The only thing that... I kind of took issue with is I want Horner to be Horner. And sometimes it felt a little too influenced by, uh, I don't know if you know, uh, Carl Jenkins, the Welsh composer who did uh, Ademus. A lot of it came through as, as that kind of thing. I don't know if he was subconsciously influenced or he spoke to Jenkins or Jenkins worked on it, but I could have done without that kind of, chorus on some occasion. I can see why he did it, but I, I just, I just love James Horner's work when it's just mm. James Horner, as familiar as it sounds sometimes. Yeah, fair enough. I don't think I'm as music nerdy as you, so I didn't really pick up on that. But what about you, Sandra? Anything on uh, the music and sound? No, I didn't really pick up on anything either. I don't even think I could remember or recall an Avatar theme song or what that would sound like. I do know that we had you know, a very expensive composer to go with a very expensive movie and very, you know, I know a lot was put into it, but I didn't appreciate it. I certainly didn't. Again, I don't know if it's because my, the visuals took over and my eyes became, you know, the primary sense that I was experiencing the movie through, but I yeah. just didn't get anything special from it other than it was quality. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I didn't get anything from it. I simply just couldn't see what you were referring to, DK, about the other influences, because to me, it was just pure James Horner, really. Um, if you look up, uh, say, if you, after this, if you look up Ademus on uh, yeah. YouTube, you'll you'll yeah. get it. You'll get the reference straight away. Okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I just, because I'm making a point to listen for music, because I'm much like you, Sandra, I never notice it. And I think that's kind of a good musician really shouldn't stand out because that's probably a negative. Um, so usually I didn't used to notice, but now that I'm reviewing more and more films, I'm listening out for it. And I did think that the score to this movie was just gorgeous. And I thought the way that it ramps up the tension during the beast attacks, or it just fades or disappears completely for the nature jungle sound scenes to kind of immerse you more in that, or the way it just elevates every one of the battle scenes, I just thought it was incredible. Um, and the only other note I've got, on the other side of that about the music is I can hate that Leona Lewis song. <laughs> oh yeah. I really hate it. it I'm it's, sorry. It's just no, that, that, that just, that's brought into something from the, Le not just the Leona Lewis thing, but those last few seconds where it focuses in on Sam's avatar face mm. and then the eyes open and it puts up the, uh, the title. <laughs> to, me, <laughs> it, it, to me, it just looks like the end of a Disney movie. I mean, I'm, I'm talking Disney animated classic. Very end of the Lion King. Now you, you keep expecting I, it to go. I was That's just going to yeah. say that. Yeah, I did remember that part. <laughs> end of the Lion King, just the drums. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, any other notes of any kind before we get to uh, the next part of the review then? No, I've got nothing. I think I've slagged it off enough. 
<laughs> you are not wrong. What about you, Sandra? <laughs> um, I think I've defended it enough. So I think I've arbitrated enough. So, <laughs> so uh, DK, I'll let you pick. Shall we do audience interaction next, or shall we do our favorite character moment and line first? Uh, let's do the uh, the favorite character. Let's not okay. mess with tradition. Let's do it then. Um, so. Sandra, you're the guest, so we'll ask you first, because I know you've actually prepared. Um, who was your favourite character in the movie and why, first of all? Um, I think my favourite character in the movie was Nechiri because um, she didn't have a lot of growth, but she didn't need a lot of growth. And I thought that was interesting. She was kind of stable throughout. She... Um, had a, her sense of morality she had her character and there was nothing about her that needed to change really at all she mm -hmm. was very in tune with nature she was destined to become the leader you know the spiritual leader of yeah. her tribe and and that's what happened um i think it was easy for her she's an easy favorite because her acting was so outstanding a lot of the emotional depth of the entire movie was experienced through her through her eyes her culture and so I, I mean she's an easy favorite but that's that's why she was mine yeah she does get the kind of rom-com trope plot line of i hate this guy oh i'm gradually falling in love with him but it's hard <laughs> to uh, complain because that's done in everything from you know every tom hanks meg ryan movie to beauty and the beast so <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to uh to really say anything about that so yeah dk who was your favorite character and why uh it's gonna be two for two here and it's natiri again I uh, okay. Okay. I think I think uh, Zoe's performance shone through because the motion capture was so good, and as as Sandra says, she didn't really have much growth, but she didn't really need it, and uh, yeah, I just thought she was a fantastic character. She was the one one of the two leads that I didn't want to slap. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, get ready with the hot take graphic because my favorite character, uh, if it hasn't been clear so far was Sute, <laughs> because the poor guy, I mean, he has the best arc of the film. He's brilliantly acted, gets killed off with no fanfare like a sucker, completely gets to be, you know, humbled, and yet doesn't act like all match or anything about it. When when it comes to it, he stands by Jake, and he's nice and everything. And even the scene, like I said, even though I hate the scene of him being euthanized, the, the heartbreaking bit of acting in that last scene, I think, from that character at least, is just incredible. So I think, for me, he's the unsung hero of this movie. Um, and, I, yeah, I went with Sute just to be, not just to be different, but, you know, <laughs> why not to be different than you guys, I suppose? Um, no offense to Neytiri, so it's not a three for three, for, as always said on you. <laughs> so, um, Sandra, what's your favorite moment in the film and why? My favorite moment is what we discussed earlier Jake waking up for the first time in his body, the, uh, I just felt such elation. I was so happy for him. And then I just thought it was funny. Uh, he and Norm trying to get used to these oversized bodies, just these gangly limbs and, um, tr just running out for me. I, I was just so happy for him. And so I, I have to separate like that favorite moment from the fact that, I loved just looking at the world, the world building. I could probably keep a background, you know, of that going on my TV 24-7 just <laughs> to look at the visuals. But as far as, you know, just what brought out an emotion in, in me, I would say that that kind of lent itself to my favorite 
part. It Like I said, it was the first chuckle of the movie for me. And just to extend that a little bit further into the movie, even though it's a different scene, uh, when he's, you know, first walking through the tribe and he accidentally swats that lady with his tail. It's just him <laughs> trying to get used to that tail. I just thought that was funny and I enjoyed that. Awesome, awesome. And yeah, Disney, I think, are starting to... Uh make a bit of a thing out of, as you were saying, being able to just have these vistas on your TV. Because I know Disney Plus has entire things where it's just um, scenes or scenery from like, there's a Star Wars ones and there's like various National Geographic ones. And I'm pretty sure there either is or there's been announced to be a Pandora one, which is just going to be scenes of Yeah, of I would nature. dig that. <laughs> there's a one also for Dor uh, Nemo, Finding Nemo. Oh, I yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, well. <laughs> so, yeah, check out Disney Plus. It's more than just shows, I guess. <laughs> uh, DK, what's your favorite moment in the movie and why? Uh, again, I've got to agree with uh, with Sandra. Not the specific, but just uh, any scene that they're exploring Pandora, I just think is absolutely amazing. Uh, if I had to put one scene that, that got my blood pumping a little more it would be the uh capturing the uh the creature and learning to fly the ikran yeah yeah i, ca I can't remember the, the name or the turuk the second no one. no the the ikran. the ikran okay cool cool uh, yeah that was a good scene uh, my favorite scene again uh, probably contrary to a lot of you guys um my favorite was the climactic attack on the tree of souls um because i appreciated the way it resonated with the line that you mentioned earlier when people are sitting on shit you want make them your enemy and you're justified in taking it so i kind of saw the thematic resonance of that whilst it also was an incredibly well directed and action-packed scene that made me feel multiple kinds of emotions um so i just thought that was my favorite or at least most impactful scene in the movie uh so then <laughs> sandra over to you again what's your favorite line in the movie i know you were working on this right up until time of recording <laughs> yeah and i still didn't really find one because there were no poignant really um lines there were some funny ones um i guess this is where i can kind of agree like dk was saying the dialogue just didn't do it for him and I guess now I, I did kind of see that because nothing really stood out to me um, just two lines from Jake Soley I kind of picked out um, where she said all energy is only borrowed and one day you have to give it back um, that was kind of encapsulating the whole um, you know everything's connected and um, just how hurting that tree uh going after the ore how it was it was hurting everything so it, it just kind of encapsulated the whole movie for me and then secondly where um jake Soli said everything is backwards now like out there is the true world and in here is the dream and i thought that was kind of neat because of th that part that you said you were missing like why did he just you know all of a sudden turn to that side and um, why was he accepted? Um, and then having experienced that myself, where if you've ever done like a marathon in a game, like for me, it was um, <laughs> Mass Effect or Skyrim, and you just uh, the real world starts to feel surreal until you can get back into the game. So that, yeah, that resonated definitely. with me a little bit. Uh, okay. But there was really nothing really poignant that stood out to me. So I just picked out a couple of things that I that I liked. Okay, well, I'm going to disagree when it gets to me because I have an entire speech. But DK, what about you? What's your favorite line? I'm not joking, but I've literally written not a lot of great choices. The one I do have, 
She said, all energy is only borrowed, and one day you have to give it all back. <laughs> right. So, yeah, agreeing again uh, there. I'm going to get stick for this because it's probably going to be regarded as hokey, but I think it just came down on the right side. And my favourite line, I say jokingly because it's, a, again, a speech, um, is if Grace is there with you, look in her memories. She can show you the world we come from. There's no green there. They killed their mother, and they're going to do the same here. More sky people are going to come. They're going to come like a rain that never ends unless we stop them. They chose me for something. I will stand and fight. You know I will, but I need a little help here. That, for me, was the writing peak of the movie, the whole sort of everything coming together. So that's what I picked as my favorite line. That's true. Um, and oddly, and I think DK and I both had to do the same thing and go to the IMDb quotes because we didn't write anything down. Absolutely. Right. So uh, before we get to conclusions, then I'm going to jump into the audience interaction section, if that's okay with you guys. Um, I do. I didn't sort of gather it together, but I'm in the right places, I think, for it. Uh, don't have... Well, I don't think I have that much, but I have bits and pieces. Um, and the first thing I'm going to go to is over on Mastodon, um, on my personal page, I put, what are your thoughts on Avatar? And I mentioned earlier, I have a, a close friend or a good friend who's um, very into this. And he kind of has like a Navi name that he currently uses as a screen name. And I know he's like really like a hardened fanboy of this stuff. So I just tagged him. His name's Jeff Cockrell and said, I know you're going to have some thoughts for this audience response. And he went, of course I do. It's an epic, unparalleled creation filled with wonder, beauty, danger, excitement, romance, and great characters and creatures. There's a reason it's the biggest film in the world, to which I jokingly said, yes, the price of a 3D ticket. <laughs> and he simply said, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I mean, it did have all those things. It did have all those things. He, he wasn't yeah. wrong there. Yeah, definitely. So It was um, just the depth of them. Maybe some yeah. of those things were a bit superficial. Yeah, I think it really does depend how you personally kind of took them and whether they were sort of whether they worked for you or not. On it's like all cinema; it's what you bring to the table. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, so, bear with me. So, the everything else that I have about this film is from our Discord uh, because I currently have a Discord feed for um, feedback just on the various films we're reviewing. Uh, again, links to all of our social medias and what have you will always be in the description, so you can find us there, because we are no longer on Twitter for Nazi reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, so, let me just have a look. I put out something on the Discord to just say, after multiple responses to the top 10 Disney that I have to scroll through, thoughts on Avatar. Um, right. And this is, as I said, the confusing thing for this is that it is, seems to be universally loathed. Uh, so Herald of Creation just said, my wife bought a copy on DVD for one pound. I put it on, uh, put it on, but turned it off after about 15 minutes. And Aliens is her favorite film. Uh, our friend Toby, who's been on the podcast before, uh, says, interestingly, I've just seen the movie for the first time ever a couple of weeks ago when it came back to theaters, and I really liked it. Visually, absolutely stunning. Yes, the story is a little unoriginal at parts, but I thought it was fine enough to not drag the movie down, and I like the characters mostly as well. So I think Toby's quite close to being on my page. Um, Mario Bowser 494, Jamie, our friend, uh, just says, I saw it years ago in 3D and fell asleep. Uh, to which our friend Ad our friend Adrienne, who's been on the podcast a few times, simply replied, so did I, although it was beautiful before I started to nod off. 
Um, <laughs> Will Templar, our other semi-regular, simply responded, yeah, me too. <laughs> so uh, I said, yeah, I may be the only person in the world that kind of enjoys this film, but it doesn't bode well for the sequel. Uh, and Adrienne said she'd watch the original again. Will simply said that the sequel does look good, to which I said I haven't really been sold because there's been no sign of a plot yet, but we'll see. Uh, we get one response over <laughs> on the Facebook, and it is from uh, DK's friend Nick Herring, who's been on the podcast. Uh, what he was on the Predator episode, is that right? Uh, he was, yes, yeah. Uh, and he just says, Seeing Avatar on the big screen was amazing, in my opinion, one of only two or three films that really made a case for 3D cinema. The plot isn't particularly original in any way, uh, but the action's top notch and it looks pretty AF. So, again, common consensus, I think pretty much everybody, even the fans, have said. Uh, people that like this film have said, you know, not original at all. I think the, we can safely stamp that and say, yeah, we acknowledge that. That's that's a consensus. Um, but yeah, so that's all the audience response we have. So uh, just uh, just our conclusions to get to before we sign off. So uh, do you have a conclusion and a score out of five, uh, Sandy, please? For us? I do. So even though the plot is very overdone, I still think the message is important. And it's worth repeating. And like I said, the execution was very original. I thought the alien world and the science was at least plausible in a very superficial sense, at least. For me, the visuals are obviously, like for many, what made the movie what it was. And so all together, everything all together, I, I really did like the movie. I'm glad it was made. I'm glad I saw it in the theater. And um, I, I really did, really did enjoy it. Okay. Um, and what was your score out of five stars then for the movie? Out of five stars, I would give it a 4.6. They're me with the points again. I have to be very precise. <laughs> You're the only person that goes so, so close to the, with that. But okay, 4.6, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, DK, did you have your conclusion and score out of five, please? Yeah, I've got... I was never really bothered about Avatar release. It didn't appeal to me. And when I eventually got around to it, I was unimpressed. It has the vibe of a director video story, given a huge budget and hype to the point of absurdity. Coupled with the fact that the plot appears to be blatantly ripped from other sources, I feel a little like the kid pointing at Emperor James Cameron shouting he's naked while everyone else applauds his movie-making prowess. However... Disregarding the script for the most part and looking at it through those lens, this time I was more entertained than I thought I would be. It's a spectacle, I'll give him that. Uh, watching it in 3D no doubt helped immeasurably. The emotional beats hit on occasion and I was genuinely interested in what was going on on screen. It's exciting, visuals are amazing, it is a beautiful thing and hats off to Cameron for being a pioneer in that regard. Having said that, I did occasionally get the impression, only occasionally mind, that I was watching a Disney animation, which I guess now technically it is. Still, <laughs> it's very pretty. I just wonder, you know, again, if Cameron can recreate the lightning in a bottle that the first one did without the gimmicks. So I've given it 3.5. Okay, that is super weird, but okay. <laughs> um, so uh, you give it 3.5, that's right. All right. Yeah, it's 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 not a bad movie. Don't get me wrong. I know I've, I've you know I've bad mouthed it a little. It's not an awful movie, and I will I will happily sit down and watch it again. It's just that I would rather watch Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, 
I wouldn't say that, but okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, so yeah, my conclusion, and again, sorry, it's long winded. I say that all the time, but it just kind of is this time. <laughs> I had a lot of thoughts. Uh, a basic and unoriginal story is elevated by masterful directing, some brilliant performances, an evocative score, and groundbreaking special effects. The same could be said, in fact, of almost every James Cameron film. But this, for me, never quite reaches the heights of his best, with the cracks and paper-thin plotting a bit more evident, and a story that makes its influences painfully clear and struggles to be as interesting. The strength is the world-building, and if you allow yourself to get invested and immersed, there's a whole lot to like. Although there are some pacing issues, which I know I say that a lot, but um, I don't think it was ever a boring experience. And even without 3D, it's a gorgeous spectacle to watch. I've seen it three or four times now and I could still watch it again. Uh, but I do recognize that it might be a struggle for other people to get invested and the film doesn't necessarily make it easy. I like the film quite a lot, but I feel like it's been hurt by its own record-breaking status and the pedigree of its director. It thoroughly does not deserve to be the highest grossing movie ever. And it's definitely in the middle of Cameron's repertoire. But it's not as bad as its worst critics make out either, with plenty to like, as I noticed in the first paragraph of this conclusion. Uh, so finally, like every other Cameron movie that has one, the extended cut is the superior version. Uh, and I also gave it 3.5 out of 5, <laughs> which is bizarre, because I thought I was completely on the opposite page to you, DK, and gave it the same score. <laughs> so <laughs> there we go. <laughs> So um, we take those scores, obviously add them up, share them by three to get an average for the podcast uh, to give us our final score. And so our final score for Avatar then is 3.86 out of five. So, I think that's fair. Right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, not bad. Not bad. Uh, let me just note that down for when I'm making the graphic. <laughs> it's actually 3.86 recurring, but you know, or something, but you know, I'm narrowing it around. So, anyway, uh, thanks again then for joining us, uh, viewers, listeners, and definitely Sandra for being another a, a great guest yet again and very tolerating of our crap and uh, patient with our long ass review. <laughs> she should, she deserves a medal for the patience she's shown today. I think I love I it. Agree. I agree. I'm so glad you enjoyed chatting to us about movies. Uh, uh, so, yeah, thanks again, Sandra, for joining us. Do you have anything you want to plug or anywhere that people can find? I don't. I, I live a quiet life. <laughs> Just watching movies. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you can always catch uh, the previous episode on uh, First Man that we did with Sandra and this one and maybe upcoming ones. You never know because we uh, we're fond of her and she's a good guest. <laughs> Twice guesting in 2022 now. So, yeah. Uh, DK, how about you? How are you doing? And do you have anything you want to quickly plug to the audience? No, anything that I want to plug also features you, mate. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, just find us here, social media. The link's in the description. Awesome. Yeah, uh, just to echo what DK said, you can find uh, links to our link trees and a few of our social medias below. The link tree is the best way to find everything because there's a lot of things to list now. Uh, do look out for prompts for audience responses and things or um, prompts if we ask for guests though we do have a schedule for next year and a lot of things booked so be uh, be quick if you are interested in getting in there for that and uh, yeah stay tuned because as I said we are having a very busy December we're releasing a movie every week a review sorry every week um, so next week we'll be back with our Christmas special uh, as it will be airing just a few days before Christmas and shall we reveal the movie we're going to be reviewing DK? Why not we've got a bumper treat lined up for you lucky people Okay, do you want to tell the audience what it'll be? No, I'll leave it to you, mate. So, yeah, um, we are going to be not feeding our pets after midnight, getting them wet or exposing them to bright light as we yeah. review the yeah. movie Critters. No, Gremlins, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, a couple of uh, surprises there, including some festive treats and uh, 
yeah, some input from uh, somebody you might not expect. So do tune in for our Christmas special for that. And then we'll be back with an end of year review on DK. Remind me what day was that again? It's scheduled for the 29th. It could change last minute, but we're hoping not. But the, the, the theme of this episode is chaos, basically. Okay, and yeah, that will basically be our review of the year, but it's effectively just an excuse for us to get together with a bunch of friends and contributors to our podcasts and get drunk and discuss things we like. <laughs> so do, that's only if people drink, of course. We're not forcing that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so do join us for that. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, remember, DK, do you want to give the sign off? <laughs> remember, in the words of Arnie, in a better camera movie, I'll be back. I'll be back. Awesome. You have been listening to the Silver Screen Podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Behind the scenes sections and additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Silver Screen Podcast or look for the Silver Screen Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen, Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast Production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.